0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast series here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of the channel. Today, we're doing another Pandemics Perspective episode with my guest, Amy Summerfield. Welcome to the show, Amy.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having
1: me. I wonder if to start off, you'll tell us a little bit about yourself, please.
0: Of course. Yeah. So I am 23 years old. I recently graduated from Colorado State University with my degree in social work and also sociology with a concentration in criminal justice and criminology. Um, I guess what else about me? What do you want to know? You have a cat. I do have a cat. Yes. Um, she's almost two years old in March um, definitely has been a big support throughout all of this. And then I have a snake and a gecko, which aren't <laughs> the most popular pets, but. <laughs> Does this snake have a name? Yeah, um, her name is Freck, short for freckles, because she has little spots on her.
1: Very cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit about your own academic path, where you started at school and and where you are now.
0: Yeah. So I actually originally started my first two years of university in California um, at California Lutheran University. I was studying, well, actually originally (laughs) I was studying biology. Um, I wanted to do marine biology. And then I decided to switch over to environmental science and political science to try to work more on the policy side of it. Um, And then that wasn't really fitting. Um, California wasn't really working out for me. So I ended up transferring back home to Colorado where I'm originally from. And that's when I attended Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And I started with the social work and um, which was a a big change but I kind of went full circle. I started in my childhood being very interested in um, just psychology and people. So, yeah, social work was really a good fit for me. And then I ended up adding on the sociology. Uh, I really am interested in the criminal justice system alongside with the policy. Um, And, yeah, let's see. I graduated in 2020, August 2020. And so far, I haven't done too much with the degree. But I would, or I am, (laughs) applying to grad school now. Um. Yeah, hoping to get my master's in uh, school counseling. So using those to still be uh, very active with the community and advocating for social problems um, in a different setting that I originally planned. But my goal is to help people.
1: I wonder if you can take us back to a year ago. You're finishing up what? is your senior year uh, and a year ago this time, was your school still open?
0: Uh, yes, it was. So let me think. Um, I actually had a very interesting fall semester. My last year in general was just between the pandemic and everything, it was funky. Um, so my fall semester, I was actually in a wheelchair uh, for most of the time. So that was very challenging and then the spring semester, um, it wasn't too bad because I just had my internship and that only required two classes, um, which were just seminars. And the sociology one only met like once a month, so um, the school load wasn't bad. And then the internship that was going on for a while, um, it actually cut cut short right the day before I was about to um, go in shadow everybody in the office. So that was a bit of a bummer. Um, But then once we had to switch to online, it really uh, wasn't too big of an issue for class since I only had those um, seminars.
1: So I wonder if you can take us back to the things that you were weighing out. You have health challenges that you have to weigh out. Were you monitoring the pandemic on your own and making choices? Or were you really waiting for the school to say, look, we're going to go on a hard shutdown. What were you weighing out as far as when you were going to call it for yourself, for your own safety?
0: Um, I think at the time, it, it didn't really hit me what was going on. Um, I think once my internship closed down, that was what really kind of hit me because I couldn't do any work from home. Um, my internship was actually with the district attorney's office. So, yeah, um, I basically had to finish my hours just watching, like, Netflix shows, which was not what I wanted my education to finish out. But um, I was also hoping that that internship would lead me to multiple opportunities, um, a lot of networking and just experience. But like I said, it cut short right before I was going to get that experience shadowing everybody. Um, I mean, I did get a good amount of experience. Like, I had a really great internship. I would not trade it for anything. But yeah, the pandemic definitely was hard uh, when it hit. Um, Especially with lupus, I had to focus on my health versus um, like mental health. Yeah, you kind of have to, that's the thing I feel like everybody's dealing with right now is your personal sanity and um, also your physical health going out. So So
1: what sort of trade-offs were you making? I would imagine they maybe changed week to week or day to day, the information that was coming out from the CDC and the government about what was safe and what wasn't was constantly shifting. Did you just decide to work with your doctor? Did you weigh it out on your own? How did you make those decisions about, I have to put the fact that I have lufus at the forefront of all my decisions because there's a pandemic and the information about the pandemic is really iffy. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mostly just try to stay away from all the social media news just because I know, especially right now, it's so back and forth. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, speaking to my doctor, that really is the best bet I feel like you have um, when you're dealing with an issue like this. Um, but also at the same time, that it is tricky because this pandemic, it's new for everybody. So a lot of the times my doctor didn't have answers. Um I was able to get the vaccine actually through my job. Um, So Colorado is not um, giving it out yet for autoimmune suppressed. So that would have been kind of a bummer having to wait. So I am happy that uh, my job was able to provide me with that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky. There is a lot of news going around. It's hard to trust what's on the news. Um I guess just having lupus for 12 years now, um you really just have to learn to listen to your body, listen to yourself. Um having a good support system is always important. Really the pandemic didn't change my life too much physically, um cuz I wasn't, you know, going out all the time anyways, but in the academic and career sense, that's probably where the most changes were.
1: You talked about the importance of a support system, and that's so important for everyone, but for people who have health challenges, it's even more important. And yet, the best advice we all got was to stay socially distant, not mix households. How did you still activate your support system? How did that change?
0: Um. Honestly, not much has changed. Um, I do live with my boyfriend. He is a great support and then my cat, you know, everybody has to have a little animal, something to cuddle with. Um, and then I'm very close with my family. Uh, they all are local, so it's easy to see them and talk to them if I need to. Um, actually at work with my client, uh, she has a, a brain injury so we can kind of share a lot of uh, our health issues together. So that is a support for me as well. Um, yeah, and then friends, I mean, really now it's so easy to get in touch with people. Um, I feel like technology, you know, it's it has its good and it's bad, but.
1: I know for a while, last spring, they were touting one particular drug that they thought might be useful for COVID, but it's also a drug that immunosuppressed people rely on. Was there a concern for you that you might end up with a shortage of a medicine that you sometimes rely
0: on? Uh, Yes, I did actually have an issue with that. Um, I, yeah, they, they were requiring me to go, usually I get my prescriptions mailed to me, but then with the hydroxychloroquine, I had to go into the pharmacy to get it. um, And then they were charging me for a while because I actually get um, financial aid. So I wasn't paying for my medications, but they were charging me for that one. So um, that was my biggest issue with it. It wasn't too bad. I do know, though, other people in the lupus community uh, voiced a lot of issues not being able to get it, um, being on higher doses than I am and not being able to get it when you know, they're more reliant on it. So I know definitely in the lupus community, there was an outrage and people were very worried.
1: So you had those factors going on. And while all of this is going on, uh, there's all of these revolutions really is how I would describe them going on in the streets, um, about racial injustice. Um, probably the first time in your lifetime you've seen that level of demonstrations and protests going on all over the U.S. Um, And social justice and political justice are both very, very important to you. How was that affecting you as well during that time? You sort of have a triple whammy. School's closing. It's your senior year. You have to keep yourself safe with lupus the pandemic is affecting everyone financially emotionally physically and the world has broken open on a topic that you feel very passionately about but also is is touching you in some ways quite personally
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's been hard to just kind of sit at home and watch um i do know it's probably good for my safety to not be out there um But it is hard being so involved in social justice and wanting to make changes and not being, you know, being able to be out there on the front lines. Um, When I was in California and I I was attending protests, so that was I'm happy I got that experience there. But I wish I could carry that on to what's going on now because, yeah, it's, it's a very big issue and it's not going away anytime soon.
1: Is it one that you're glad is getting the national attention? It's one thing to be at school studying it and feel about so strongly about it, but have people around you asking questions like, I don't know, is this really that big of a deal? And for you to feel with every fiber of your being, yes, it's a very big deal. And now it's it's been on so many people's uh, consciousness who didn't have it there before. In a way, is that a positive for you or is it just it's so much to take
0: in? Um. A mix of both, I would say. Uh, You kind of have to, you know, judge who you're talking to um, and what level of sensitivity you need to approach when speaking with them. Uh, Like with my client, for example, she... With the brain injury, it's very hard for her to comprehend how everything is changing so quickly. um, And trying to speak with her about that, we don't necessarily argue about it, but she yeah, it's very hard to kind of explain everything that's happening, especially when I myself don't fully understand everything that's going on at once.
1: Are you finding there are some people that you just, you can't talk to at all right now? Things are too divided.
0: Um, with some people, yes. I think I just try to take the most neutral approach to it. Just kind of explaining that there are a lot of moving parts to it. Um, There's a lot that we don't know. Um, And really, I guess the best is just to try to help explain the bigger picture, not just this is what's going on right now, Um, but it's been historically just years and years of everything building up and no one doing anything. What do you wish more people knew about how that felt? Um... I would say just to have people be more empathetic, um, really just stop and look at the way that they treat people. Again, like the big picture, you know, if just because you say one thing right there and then it affects them. But in the big picture, you know, they could take that for the rest of their life. Um, you don't know how it's affecting them. You don't know how that person's day is, uh, what's going on behind the scenes, um and that I guess that really ties back into why I want to go into school counseling is I know behind the scenes a lot of kids um at home they deal with a lot of problems that they can't voice which is what's similar to what's going on right now is yeah a lot of people don't feel like they have a voice when they should um I feel like I'm going off topic here <laughs> no you're not um,
1: <laughs> you're talking about uh, your future as a school counselor, um, and so that's what you're headed toward. And we were just talking about uh, your final year of uh, college, and you you graduated in the summer, mm-hmm. but there was no graduation ceremony.
0: Nope, there was not. Which I actually was kind of okay with. <laughs> um, I would have had to sit through like three different ceremonies with all of my degrees, but. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad for me. (laughs) Um, I know a lot of people were very upset that they weren't able to walk. Um, And I think they did actually end up holding a small celebration later uh, for people who graduated. I know a few people attended it.
1: And so now it's summer and um, things are still pretty shut down. You still have to guard your health many people have taken to the streets to protest. Uh, Your heart is with them, but physically it's not safe for you to be with them. And you're looking towards your future. And for you, that's grad school. And you're deciding more and more this future career you want is to be a school counselor for small children. Um, So what steps do you decide to take them?
0: Oh boy. Um, (laughs) Well, right now, I guess the first step is applying. So I'm getting that in. Um, I originally I was trying to go for the summer semester um, but just with everything going on I don't feel ready for that uh, to jump back in right now and then also um, the supervisors that I reached out to to get the letter of recommendations from they have you know their own issues with COVID so uh, they've been a little busy too getting those back to me which I Totally, I'm fine. I understand.
1: Do you think you'll stay local, go to a Colorado school, one where your social support is within driving distance?
0: Um, so, actually, yeah, that's been a big factor for me looking into schools. Um, I did not apply to Colorado State for their master's program because they, as far as they know, um, they will be holding in-person classes in the future. So I'm not really comfortable being on campus just with, you know, knowing the numbers on college campuses. Um, so I'm looking at a program online. Um, the one I'm looking at is through actually Fort Hayes University through uh, in Kansas. Um, not my top pick in any way, but I do believe that uh, education is education. You know, you take what you get or you – use what you have, you know, you really, if you want to immerse yourself, you can, um, in any program. So this one's definitely more affordable. I like that it's online, it's accredited, you know, nothing wrong with that. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely been a big issue for me trying to find the right program and the right, um, timeline really.
1: Do you feel that online education better supports your health goals or is it Mostly that next year looks so iffy as far as infection rates that you just don't want to sign up for a program that could be face to face at any point next year?
0: Um, yeah, really the latter. I, I feel like I learned better in person, um, but I just, I really don't want to deal with <laughs> all of that. And especially with just the way my last year on campus went, you know, like I mentioned, I was in the wheelchair and, and then the pandemic. So I just think I'm kind of fed up with campus for now. <laughs> which I know grad school could be different, but um, again, and everything going on, I just don't want to risk my health. Um,
1: have you felt it was mostly on you to ask for accommodations or do you feel there's uh, support offices at school who ask you what you need, who are willing to provide what you need, or has it really been on Amy to say, I need this, I have to figure this stuff out myself?
0: Um... At first, I mean, in a college setting, you definitely have to advocate for yourself. Um, There's so many students, you know, a professor can't know just by looking at students. Um, That's definitely on you to reach out to them and let them know, uh, go through the campus, um, the disability services on campus and get, you know, the proper paperwork. Uh, That's definitely on the student. But then I do think there is a lot of responsibility on the professor's Uh, to keep up with that student and to really take into consideration the accommodations that they requested um i've definitely experienced differences in the programs Uh, social work clearly it it was a lot more um what's the word i'm looking for Just accepting i guess uh because they are trained in social work um they do understand how, you know, life affects you and how situations affect a student. Um, So I definitely found that my social work professors were more accommodating, they were definitely more communicative with me. Um, Not saying that my sociology professors didn't care. uh, But they definitely, you know, weren't as warm. um, Or sometimes, you know, they weren't as accepting if I couldn't be there for whatever reason, you know, they they wouldn't really work with me on the guidelines. Uh, my accommodations were kind of tricky um, because it was, I didn't need extra testing time or things like that. It was really just, I needed attendance flexibility for days that I wasn't feeling up to going to campus, um, which is a very hard accommodation to get because it's kind of gives a free pass to the student, you know, just to not go to class. Um, so I definitely had to talk with my professors a lot and communicate, you know, like I, I understand the protocols of the class. Um, I'm not trying to skip out, but, you know, there are days where I really just can't get here. Um, so it's definitely a, you have to communicate a lot. Um, and again, you have to read the person and know, kind of how much you have to explain to them. Because some people don't know what lupus is. Um, A lot of people are very familiar, and and that makes them more understanding. So it really depends on the person and the situation.
1: How soon for listeners who are debating when to go tell their professor that they need accommodations because they have an invisible disability, or at least at this time, it's looking Mm -hmm. invisible to those around them. uh, How soon do you from your findings of your own experience, do you recommend people go and start having that conversation with their professor?
0: Definitely as soon as possible. Uh, even if you don't think you need accommodations, you you it's better to have them than to not. Um, I was definitely that way at first, you know, thinking, oh, I'm fine, I don't need anything. But then it, it definitely starts to affect you when you're missing school and your grades start to drop. You know, it is good to really be on that level with the professor, Um, and that way, too, I think it just kind of helps students be more aware as well, Um, especially when it's an invisible disease, you know, people people can't tell, and it's hard to blame them um, when you can't see it, but I think being your own advocate and voicing it um, definitely helps people understand where you're coming from and be more sensitive towards it. Uh, I know I definitely in class, if there was like a project I could work on, I would definitely try to include lupus in there um, so that I could help educate my peers.
1: It seems to me from the professor side of it that the accommodations that you need would be beneficial to just offer to all students. There, there are times when students can't come to class, it's not in their best interest. Mm-hmm. And just listening to you, I don't know that I would want a, prof- a student to feel they had to come give me a reason why it seems like it would be in all students' best interest. If there were mechanisms built into the syllabus to just honor the fact that you all have lives mm-hmm. and your students. So how are you going to complete the work of the semester? Um, And how does the syllabus support that without asking you to do things that aren't in support of your life at the same time that they're in support of you as a student? So if you shouldn't be at school that day, then you shouldn't. And I trust you as an adult to know that.
0: Right. And I think that's where it gets really tricky is trusting the students um, with that responsibility. But I think that's where the communication comes in and why you really need to speak with them front hand and then you can work with the syllabus and maybe come up with you know, a contingency plan for the days that you do miss, which is what I did mostly with my professors. You know, they were like, make sure you have a designated person to get you notes or if you can, let me know, you know, for doctor's appointments, let me know beforehand. Um, I think it, yeah, allowing that accommodation for students is great. It definitely comes with a lot of responsibility, which I think on both ends actually the student and the professor. So really the biggest thing is just communicating. Um, and that way too, it lets the professor know that you are being honest with them. You are keeping them up. Not, You don't have to be descriptive, you know, like saying what's going on, but just, you know, I'm, I won't be there today. I will get my work done. Thank you for understanding, you know. Your
1: graduate program that you want to do online, how many years does that program take?
0: You know, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I don't think it's more than two years. I should probably figure that out.
1: Is your sense that it has flexibility built in so that if you do have health needs, you can do it over three years instead of two?
0: I'm sure. um, I know, at least in my undergrad, there's been um, possibilities, you know, to split it up. I can imagine that's the same with this. Um, I do. The one benefit of the online is that it is easier for me physically and health wise um, because I don't have to be on all the time. I don't have to go to class. I don't have to yeah, take that extra step. So in a way, I feel like the online is kind of accommodations for me. Um, So I'm hoping I won't have to extend it.
1: In the future, you see yourself working with kids uh, in school. Do you see yourself also working with the teachers to help them to build into the way that they go about the classroom, that there are just natural accommodations that not only benefit the students who need them, but that acknowledges that really all students benefit from them?
0: Definitely. Yeah. Um, So my mom, actually, she works in the school system and she, Mentioned to me that, yeah, the school counselor is a huge part of the team. You know, it's not just one person. It, it They really are evolving to work together as a team and to come together to discuss the children's needs. Um, yeah, because it really does, when we're dealing with people, you know, we're really ambiguous. And it takes a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different information and education backgrounds to come to a solution sometimes. So I do think, yeah, being on a team, um, that's what I, I'm looking forward to.
1: And do the schools in Colorado, do they do they have school counselors at all the schools? I know that's not true. And throughout the country, there are places where they have a police officer, but they don't have a school counselor.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure throughout all of Colorado. Um, my mom is in, uh, the Boulder County, so I know they definitely try to, um, include everybody that they need, you know, all hands on deck for sure.
1: As movements like Defund the Police, um, gain more traction and present more, uh, program and policy ideas forward that get adopted, one of the things that they tend to include is a great increase in the number of school counselors who are available specifically to uh, decrease the number of police officers who are working in schools and increase the number of counselors so that problems are addressed rather than um, reacted to. Um, How do you see your work uh, as being part of that?
0: I definitely see where they're coming from. Um, The schools definitely need that support system and the education of a school counselor. Um, But I don't think getting rid of the police is where uh, our solution lies. Uh, A lot of the times as a social worker, you know, when we go into a household, we often have a police officer with us. So I, I just believe that there's, very different training that comes with each career. Um, Definitely in the police force, instead of defunding them, I think we actually need to reallocate the funds and focus on more uh, sensitivity training, mental health training. You know, when you look at the statistics of what they're learning, it's really just mostly, um, well, it's just just not, yeah, in the mental health at all. So I know incorporating programs in the police system that focuses on their mental health and because you think about it, you know, you witness someone being shot out on the street that's very traumatic, um, that takes a lot of time to process it and to recover from it, whereas an officer, you know, has to go back into that the next day. They don't have that time to recover from that trauma. Um, Instead, it's just a continuous wave. And then we see what happens, you know, when they get to that point. Um so really I, I don't I'm not I, I definitely think we, we need more counselors, we need more mental health specialists um in the schools, but we also do need that um the police support, but as long as they are also trained in the proper way.
1: So it's a reimagining of how police respond and partnering more with mental health professionals. Mhm. Definitely. Do you find that the students that you were in classes with over the last few years that that those are things that are on their mind as well?
0: Uh yes, yeah. Um one of my friends that I graduated with, she actually works with child protective services now. Um and she, you know, voices all the time how unsafe it is and um just definitely where there are times where police presence is needed.
1: So have you guys devoted class time to brainstorming what a more effective response would be? You've spoken about the importance of maintaining a a police force, but also in adding in other services that have either been decreased or just have never been available.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Um, Yeah, we definitely talk about it in class. Uh, It it does become very complicated when you're dealing with macro policy. Um, And again, just with the criminal justice system, it is... Yeah, there's just been a whole history of mistreatment.
1: There's a great complexity there.
0: Yeah, I think really... um, The biggest changes are going to come from that macro policy work. Um, But right now, I feel like with all the current issues, it's hard for us to look at that policy. We're focusing on responding to what's happening now with our policy. We're not looking at the big picture. Um, But just uh, once you get into all of that, it's very, very complicated. Um, And I do think we we need more uh, social science experts in the policy field, people that are, they don't just work with numbers, they work with the people too, that they see what's going on with their own firsthand experience. I think that definitely plays a factor into, you know, what people want to do.
1: You spoke earlier about having an internship uh, with the criminal justice system and it had to be really modified because of the pandemic. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And in the fall, you'll be going to grad school, online, but there'll probably be some face-to-face components, perhaps an internship where you would be back out in the field again. Have you thought about what you'd like your next internship to be like?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also, again, it gets tricky because I would be back in the school system. um, I'm hoping by the time of my internship, things will be looking a little better. Um, I mean, I did get the first vaccine, hopefully the second one, you know, uh, fingers crossed all goes well with that. It is kind of tricky because it is new to everybody. So, um, really, I guess just like everybody else, we're just hoping for the best, hoping things get better.
1: So when you look forward to starting your new grad program online, how will you deal with things like Zoom fatigue and making a community with these new students who you've never met face-to-face?
0: Um, yeah, I. it will be tricky. Um, social work classes were very easy to get to know students. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just something about being a social worker, but... <laughs> Uh, online, I, I've, I've taken online classes before and it's definitely a lot harder to be kind of there, um, and to represent yourself as a person rather than just a, a you know, a text. Um, but I think that kind of ties in again to advocating for yourself, really just communicating, um, finding a support system in that, trying to reach out to students, um, especially for someone like me, if I need accommodations, definitely having a designated person that I know um, that I can rely on for notes or for any missed subjects. So um, it's definitely, you're going to have to take an extra step for sure online, but I do have hopes that, especially in the grad school program, that students are um, more attentive, they're more interested and just really ready to learn. Um, I think grad school definitely is different than undergrad in that sense.
1: You mentioned earlier about trade-offs of physical health and and mental health. And I'm wondering how you support and protect your mental well-being during these difficult times.
0: Um, I mean, like I said, not much has changed too much, you know, because I wasn't going out before. And just having lupus for my whole half of my life, you really just kind of learn to develop those support systems. Um, So obviously, you know, the context kind of changes a little with what you're speaking to them about, but overall um, my mental health has been doing actually very well. Um, I think just trying to embrace The present, you know, you can't really complain. Um, It's not like, oh, I I wish I could be going out right now. It's just kind of, you know, it's nice to have some downtime. I can use this as a time to, you know, rest my legs. Um, Really just focus on yourself. I guess you kind of just have to take it as you go. Um, I was not, you know, it's not, you can't complain because someone else has it worse. Um, You know, everybody has a right to feel what they're feeling. And really, yeah, you just kind of have to take it with what you got. um, Use what you have. Reach out to the people and the supports you have. Uh, You definitely have to advocate for yourself. It's hard. You can't expect people to just come to you, um, which is one of the hardest things is to ask for help. but I think right now, especially in this time, you know, um I guess it is a you know it there is a responsibility on other people to check in with our loved ones and our friends. So yeah, I don't know the dynamic is kind of changing in that sense. Um, for mental health, we should be looking out for other people at the same time looking out for ourselves. So it sounds
1: like the pillars of maintaining your mental well-being are Mm -hmm. uh, self-care, self-acceptance, and self-advocacy.
0: Yeah. And I think that a lot of that stems from my social work background. Um, They really train you, you know, in self-care because the burnout rate is just so high. Uh, Self-care is just so important to everybody, not just social workers, but especially in that field. You know, they really teach us to be in touch with our identity, um, you know, to really understand your boundaries before you go and help somebody else, uh, because that does affect the person you're helping. Um, So, yeah, really to be a social worker, you do have to know yourself, you do have to be comfortable with yourself. Um, so I do thank a lot to that um, career choice for understanding, but also with my back- personal background, um just with lupus and being adopted, a lot of that, having to just understand my identity just comes from those personal experiences. Do you
1: think that your identity as a person who is adopted, do you think that early influence as a child is part of what drove you to want to work specifically with children?
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> I definitely had my my journey with my adoption identity. Um, I struggled a lot trying to pick one or the other and not feeling like I belonged Um until I finally, I did actually get um, counseling for it and came to the terms that I am who I am. Um, I don't have to pick. I, I am bec- who I am because of my multiple identities. Um, I forgot who you're we talking <laughs> What Where, was the question again?
1: The, the question about was when you were little and it, you oh, were, yeah. uh, your identity and you were aware that part of your identity was that you were an adoptive person. How much have those experiences in, been part of the impetus to wanting to specifically work with children in your career?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely just going through all of that as a kid um, with the lupus and the adoption, having to deal with those. Uh, it definitely made me who I am now. Um, And then just also with the social work background, I can see how easily kids are manipulated. You know, they really, at that age, they're at such a critical point of learning in their lives. Um, So having all those supports, I look back at my life and seeing what I was dealing with. And I think the reason why I came out to, to, To where i am today is because of those supports um because of the opportunities i had as a child where a lot of kids don't get that and you see that a lot of the times in the criminal justice system um that yeah as adults you know you really look into their childhood background and it it wasn't the best um and they didn't have those supports so they weren't able to provide resiliency and that's where they are where they're at um, so I think that's kind of going to where I, what I wanted to work with juvenile sexual offenders. Um, it was kind of from a point where I understood that it, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. It wasn't just they want to do this for fun. Um, so I think I can apply that to the same sense working with kids in the education system, you know, looking at the big picture. Why are you doing well? Um, what are these behaviors? coming from, you know, it's especially in kids, they want to be heard. Um, They don't just act out for no reason. You know, there's always something going on. So I think, yeah, my, my personal background um, definitely helps me empathize with kids in that sense that because I I definitely acted out when I was a kid. Um, And yeah, to just to be that person for someone else um, to be that support and to be that person that kind of makes an influence, you know, on the kid, a good influence. uh, That's definitely what I want to be. I want to be that support for them.
1: It sounds like one of the things that really has uh, become clear to you in in your internship and then looking back at your own life is that this idea that children are resilient is kind of gaslighting. Children need support systems and where those support systems have gaps and where they don't meet the child's need, then the child starts showing us through their behavior and treating the behavior as an aberration is ignoring the fact that the support system is what needs to be strengthened.
0: Definitely that support system we talked about um, really just being Present and listening to them. Um, I also do think it it kind of goes back to policy and just family planning. Um, it, it really isn't as much of an issue of how do we deal with kids. I think it's more are parents ready to have kids. Um, so kind of backtracking in that way too really training the parents, um, educating the parents, providing resources for the parents, uh, that plays a big factor too, is does the whole family dynamic, um, is the family dynamic resilient and how does that affect the child?
1: What is one key support you have as a kid that you wish other kids had?
0: Um... I think just the family dynamic, I had a very good family dynamic um, in the sense that I was close to my siblings, I was close to my parents um, in different ways, and I was able to be open with them in the sense of my adoption and the lupus, Um, they definitely, you know, were there for me when I was ready to talk about it. They never pushed it on me or made me feel bad or anything like that. So I think definitely, um, again, the family planning, you know, my parents, they knew that they were adopting a kid. Um, they knew what that entailed. So I think for a lot of adopted child uh, children, um, what I'd want for them is to have parents that understood what it means to adopt a kid, the responsibility it means to adopt a kid, um, and then also in the same sense, just for children to have parents that are ready to have a child, um, that they have the resources or that they know where to get those resources. So, um, yeah, that's I wish for for kids to have parents who are <laughs> prepared. I guess.
1: In the few minutes we have left, I want to ask you, what do you hope this conversation we've had today sparks?
0: I hope it helps people understand um, to look at the big picture, you know, to not be so quick to judge people, uh, not be so quick to say harsh things. Um, I think especially right now, everybody's just going through a lot. um, And that's a light way to put it. So really just being mindful, um, take care of yourself is the best way to take care of others. Um, be a good listener, reach out to others and just don't be hard on yourself. It's, it's, again, it's a hard time, um, and be open. Everybody's going through the same thing. So definitely if you need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. What gives you hope? Um, gives me hope is the individuals that you see doing good things, voicing good things. Um, you know, I feel like the only direction we can move is forward. So that gives me hope. Um, going into my career, I'm definitely hoping to make some changes with that. So really, um, yeah, the new generations, they, they give me hope. Um, the fact that I'll be able to teach them and work with them, you know, hope for the future, hope for better things.
1: Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us, Amy, and thank you for being on the show today to give us your pandemic perspective. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, and you've been listening to The Academic Life on NewBooks Network. Please join us again.